sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm so grateful for these brothers of mine who are here today, um, that at least some I have some people to preach to, preach at. Uh, what, whom you haven't seen so far is Jonathan. He is uh, faithfully making sure that you have on your screens everything that you should have on your screens. And um, there was a shopkeeper once who had a store on Main Street and um, things were going pretty well for his business. When all of a sudden a competitor, someone who was selling pretty much the same thing he was, opened up a store right next door to him. And the first thing that the person did put up a big sign that said, best deals. Well, that dismayed the shopkeeper for a while until another shopkeeper opened on the other side of his store with, again, a similar uh, range of products that he was selling. And this time the sign said, lowest prices. What was the shopkeeper supposed to do with this advertising and his competitors right next to him? Finally, he had a great idea. He put the biggest sign that he could make and it said, main entrance. <laughs> when you... Um, set out to do anything, I'm going to assume that you set out to succeed. I'm going to assume that you start something that's going to be meaningful and that you're pretty sure you can succeed. If you're going to register for a marathon, you don't register knowing that you're going to fail. Uh, maybe your goal isn't to win it, uh, but at least your goal would be to finish it. If you start a business, if you go to work, if you, whatever you do, most likely um, you want to be part of something that's meaningful, that makes a difference in people's lives, and of course, something that's going to be successful, right? And you might accept a certain degree of risk in any endeavor, but my guess is you'd prefer to invest your time and your energy in an endeavor that will accomplish something that's meaningful and something that would be more likely to succeed than not. Well, the success of pretty much any endeavor oftentimes depends on who's leading the endeavor and depends also on the financial resources uh, that are supporting it and perhaps the competency of those who are involved in that endeavor. Well, what if you could be part of an endeavor that is destined to succeed? An endeavor that uh, with God as the one who's behind it, uh, doesn't require the strongest, smartest and most competent because God happens to be the strongest, smartest, and most competent. An endeavor that God is behind doesn't require leaders to be perfect, because God is perfect. And an endeavor with God behind it may have resources that are limited, because God is, of course, unlimited in his resources. Well, God has invited you and me into his plan for the ages, a plan that he oftentimes chooses the weak and the uneducated where he displays his power and where he can move heaven and earth to see it succeed. And in our study of the Acts of the, of the Apostles, the book that we're studying is most often known as the book of the Acts of the Apostles. But I think a more appropriate name would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the Apostles. You see, Luke wrote this book as a continuation of the Gospel of Jesus, which was written to Theophilus about, quote, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And this day that he was taken up is the day that we just celebrated this last Thursday. 
And Acts then was Luke's account of the apostles obeying Jesus' commands to them, given then by the Holy Spirit. Now, because the accounts that we're familiar with mention the names of the apostles, it mentions their decisions, it mentions their miraculous deeds and their sermons, the opposition they faced, it's easy for us to sometimes focus our attention on the apostles. But the apostles, wherever you read in the book of Acts, were always being guided by the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were instructed to act by the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were inspired to speak by the Holy Spirit. They were even transported by the Holy Spirit. So really, today, what we're going to look at is the first part of Paul's first missionary journey, first part of three. But our attention today will be especially on the Spirit of God. That is, the ways that the Spirit of God was with the apostles. Because I believe that the Spirit of God is with us today in the very same ways and for the very same purpose as he has been for the followers of Jesus Christ for centuries. So in the text as we're going to read today, when you read along, take special note today of the mentions of the Holy Spirit. And it'll either say the Holy Spirit or it'll perhaps say the hand of God. So let's look for three ways that the Holy Spirit was with the apostles here, beginning in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. You can read along with me, um, as the text will hopefully be also on your screens. And it says this in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I'm going to draw your attention now to a map so that you have an idea here of where these cities were. Because the believers were scattered among places like Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And they were sharing with the Jews among them there. Phoenicia, you'll find that green circle there is that area north of Galilee, which is the northernmost part of uh, Israel, and it contains cities like Tyre and Sidon and Damascus. So it's near to where today we call Lebanon. Cyprus, you'll see in the blue circle there, an island in the middle of the Mediterranean off the coast. And Antioch, at least Antioch of Syria, was further north, the red circle you see there. Um, today it's on the other side of the Syrian border in what's called Turkey where the Orontes River empties into the Mediterranean. It's about 480 kilometers from Jerusalem. That's the city that we're going to talk about most today. And when Barnabas goes to find Saul, Saul is in his birth home, <clears throat> excuse me, his birth city in Tarsus, there that orange circle further north and to the west in Cilicia, modern, modern day Turkey, about 170 kilometers away from Antioch each way. So in Antioch, there were believers from Cyprus, 
and Cyrene, who chose not only to share with the Jews there, but also to share the gospel with the Greeks, the non-Jews. And they believed. In fact, so many in Antioch turned to the Lord that the church in Jerusalem heard about it, and they sent Barnabas to them. Notice this key detail in verse 21, that the hand of the Lord was with them. That is, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who are preaching the Lord Jesus. And it says a great number, that is, of the Hellenists, the Greek speakers, who believed turned to the Lord. That increase in the number of followers of Jesus Christ was so significant, significant enough that reports about the growth there were coming to the disciples in Jerusalem. And so the church in Jerusalem decided to send Barnabas, just like we heard Peter and John were sent from Jerusalem when Philip had been preaching in Samaria to confirm that, yes, the gospel is reaching the Samaritans. Now Barnabas was there to check up on them and, and realize, yes, the gospel is also reaching the Gentiles. Now, bear in mind, this journey on foot would have taken at least two weeks. So who was this Barnabas? Because Barnabas was the one that accompanied Saul or Paul on his first missionary journey. In Acts 4, verse 36, we see that Barnabas' real name was Joseph. He was called Barnabas by the apostles because he was the son of encouragement. That's what his name means. He was a Levite of the priestly descent. He was a native of Cyprus. And in chapter 4 of Acts, he sold his property and brought the money to the apostles. In other words, he was among those who didn't see that his own property belonged to him, but really belonged to the community of believers. And another interesting thing, fact, another fact about Barnabas, he was the cousin to John Mark. John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. The same John Mark who, as we'll see soon, actually traveled with Paul and Barnabas on their first journey. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 27, it says, When Saul had come to Jerusalem after his conversion in Damascus, the disciples were still afraid of Saul, but it was Barnabas, the son of encouragement, that came alongside to testify that Saul's conversion had been genuine and that his bold preaching of the Lord Jesus proved that his conversion was real. And here we're told by Luke that this Barnabas was a good man. Key note as well, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So Barnabas came to attest to the grace of God upon the Gentiles in Antioch, and he exhorted them in their faith, adding many to the Lord. This was exactly as his name says. He was an encourager, paraklesis or parakaleo, which means to call alongside, meaning to make an urgent and an earnest appeal, a request to plead, to urge. In fact, in John chapter 14, verse 16, we're told by Jesus that that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that he comes alongside. And so it's translated there in John chapter 14, verse 16, sometimes as helper, as advocate, as counselor and comforter. So here's Barnabas filled with the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit do its encouraging work through his life so that the church is built up. This is the activity of the Holy Spirit in the church in Antioch through Barnabas. And it's no wonder then that Barnabas felt the need to go and get Saul because the church was growing. Such a growth, he needed someone to help him with teaching the church, and they taught for a whole year there. And as the church, the disciples in Antioch, it says, were first called Christians there. Now, you can see clearly in this passage how the hand of the Lord was with the preachers who came to Antioch and how the Holy Spirit filled Barnabas to equip the church. 
The persecution of the church had caused the believers there to scatter further and further away from the center of Jerusalem. Now, those who were scattered didn't sit idly in fear of those who were persecuting them. No, they spoke the word. And while some were focused on speaking to the Jews, the hand of the Lord clearly moves others to speak to the Greeks, Gentiles from the other nations. And it says, because the Lord was with them, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Friends, nothing, nothing can stop the hand of the Lord, the purposes of God. No adversity, no trial, no persecution, no disease. If God is going to do it, it will succeed. And today the circumstances may seem like they're not ideal for God's work. Perhaps they may seem especially difficult in our context or downright opposition that we experience. But God's power in the lives of obedient followers of Jesus Christ will yield a harvest of more disciples. Because this plan of God's of redeeming mankind through the blood of his son Jesus was meant to reach all nations through the, through the people of Israel first. And his spirit, remember when it was given to his disciples at Pentecost, it was given to provide them with power. Power for what? Power to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, not only in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Friends, this is God's plan to reach the ends of the earth with the news of redemption through the followers of Jesus Christ. That is Christians, just like the Christians were in Antioch. And that plan has not changed and will not change until he returns at the end of the ages. So his spirit poured out on the disciples first at Pentecost was given also to teach them all things and to bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 26. So if you would like to see the hand of God in your life, if you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, if we learn anything from this text, then it will be when we open our mouths to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will be when we choose to be used by the Holy Spirit to equip the church and make disciples. I mean, I'm sure that you would love to see the power of God move a mountain or dry up a river right before your very eyes. I agree, that would be pretty exciting. I'm sure it'd be exciting and awesome to see the hand of God appear suddenly as a hand behind me and actually write something on the wall. That would be exciting, I agree. And God can certainly do that. Imagine looking at an ultrasound of a tumor and seeing it simply disappear by the hand of God. God can do that if he so chooses. And it would be thrilling to see those things happen, limbs regenerating, whatever it may be. But you know what? This is the day and age of the church. When Jesus Christ is building his church and his spirit is moving today in his followers to preach the Lord Jesus and to equip us to make disciples. Exactly as we see here in Antioch. Remember what Jesus says to his disciples when he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Jesus says, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This same Jesus of Nazareth, whom we confess to be the Christ and the son of the living God, 
is still building his church today. And so the power and the presence of his hand and his Holy Spirit is moving among us today to do just that. He was doing it in Antioch. He's been doing it in places far and wide ever since, and he is doing it here in Copenhagen, Denmark. And among us today are the men of Cyrene and Cyprus who are here to preach the Lord Jesus. Let's believe that the hand of the Lord is also with us. That those whom we speak to about Jesus will also believe and turn to the Lord. Among us today are the Barnabases and the Sauls here to teach and equip the church to make disciples. And let's believe that the spirit of the living God has filled us and that the church will grow to a great many people as well. Well, let's also continue to see what other ways was the Holy Spirit involved in the church in Antioch. Well, let's continue reading then in verse 27 of Acts chapter 11. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And now we're going to skip chapter 12 because chapter 12 is kind of inserted in there about the, the death of James and Peter's rescue from prison. But move to, chapter, to verse 25 then of chapter 12 that says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Chapter 13 now. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And then verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Did you notice again how often the Holy Spirit was mentioned just in these few verses as well? That among the prophets that had come down from Jerusalem was Agabus. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he prophesied warning of a coming worldwide famine. And in chapter 13, there are several other prophets and teachers among them in Antioch. There's Barnabas and Simeon called Niger, which is a Latin word for the color black or dark. Perhaps he was from somewhere in Africa. Lucius from Cyrene, which is in northern Africa. And Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, or a foster brother to Herod Antipas. And this Agabus is a prophet that we will see also later in Acts chapter 21. So Barnabas and Saul in Antioch are just two among several prophets and teachers in Antioch. And the church there, because of what Agabus had said would happen, chose to send relief funds to the brothers in Jerusalem. And they gathered their finances together and sent their gift with Barnabas and Saul. See, the prophecy prompted them to do that. We're not sure why they chose the brothers in Judea, because the, the famine would be worldwide. But this sending of the relief funds to Jerusalem was also a critical part of Paul's ministry later on to the other ends of the uh, to the other places of ministry gathering fruit from those churches that he had planted to financially support those brothers in Jerusalem so Luke's account of the progress of the church diverts briefly in chapter 12 
but quickly returns to uh, Barnabas and Saul returning from Jerusalem. And then as they are there again, worshiping together, fasting, the Holy Spirit once again directs them. And what does the Holy Spirit direct them to do this time? To set apart Barnabas and Saul for the purpose that God had for them. And they understood that to mean, evidently, that they were to send them out to preach the gospel. So the next thing they do when the fasting time is over, they lay their hands on them. And what was the purpose of that? Well, in the past that we've also seen, the laying on of hands oftentimes is related to the uh, anointing with the Holy Spirit. Well, certainly we know that Barnabas and Saul already had the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the laying on of hands was to give authority. Well, Saul and Barnabas already had the authority. Sometimes we see laying on of hands of um, healing uh, when Saul received his, his sight again. Well, he was already seeing here. So that wasn't the purpose of laying their hands on them there. No, the laying of hands here clearly communicates that as they were sending Saul and Barnabas, they were sending them as appointees of the church. The church was the one that we felt led to send them and was supporting them, and they were every, in every way involved in the mission. And you'll see later that when they return, the first thing they do is report back to the church in Antioch. And notice as well, the ones they sent were the ones that God set apart. They were Saul and Barnabas, key people in the church. It wasn't like they didn't need Saul and Barnabas there. I'm sure that their ministry would have been very valuable to continue there in Antioch, but God set them apart. And these were some of the most gifted and able and authoritative men that were in that church. Now, Luke doesn't record that John Mark was set apart and sent out, but he does record that John Mark does go with them on this first journey after he's brought back from uh, Jerusalem with them. But here's what we wanted to notice, that God is with us as well because he wants his church to display his love and to proclaim his truth. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through Agabus that day to inspire the churches to act. And how did they act? They acted in love for their fellow brothers and sisters. Because of what the Spirit revealed to that church, they were moved and inspired to show their love. And then later on, because of the move of the Holy Spirit, they were inspired to send missionaries out to proclaim the truth. The church in Antioch is a great example of all churches of all ages that Jesus is building. They should be there to demonstrate God's love and to proclaim his truth. And I believe that every church who wants to be faithful to the calling that we've been given by Jesus Christ, we need to proclaim his truth and display his love. I hope you realize that the core of our mission statement in FIBC is to faithfully proclaim God's truth and visibly display God's love. See, we have expressed in the purposes of our existence as a church that we intend to fulfill God's five purposes of the church, which is worship, discipleship, and evangelism, that is outreach, and fellowship and ministry, or serving others. And so through our worship, our discipleship, and our evangelism, we're trying to be faithful to proclaim God's truth. And through our fellowship and our ministry, we're trying to be faithful to display God's love. It's really not that complicated. Sometimes we can easily complicate things. But so our motto here at FIBC is said as simply as we can say it, God's truth in love. Proclaim God's truth, display his love. 
And we can be that church in Copenhagen whose men and women have compassion for those in need and whose men and women are serving those in need according to their need. We can be that church in Copenhagen whose men and women bear the good news that people need to hear. And because they need to hear it, we send the men and women with that good news that they need to hear. God has been with the church all along in the past to show his love and to proclaim his truth. That's our job today by the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is with us not only to preach and to, um, to equip us for, to make disciples, but also for us to proclaim God's truth and display his love. Let's look at this last section that we have for today for this third way that God and his Holy Spirit is moving in his church. We'll begin um, in verse 4. We, we ended in verse 4 uh, where we see them being sent out. Then in verse 5, when they arrive at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and, went, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Just briefly take a look at this map here where you can see Cyprus, that they arrive on the eastern shore of Cyprus, and they travel across the island from east to west, preaching in the synagogues. We're not told how long it took them to travel across the island from east to west. Google Maps tells us that the journey is about 180 kilometers, and if you were to walk it, it would take probably about 39 hours to do so. But most likely they took time along the way to teach in the synagogues. But we're told that they arrive in Paphos on the west coast and they had an audience of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The, uh, Paphos was the seat of government for the promise and Sergius Paulus was a proconsul who had both judicial and military power in that province. Essentially, he held absolute power. And Luke tells us that he was an intelligent man. And he had requested, in fact, to hear Saul and Barnabas speak. So Saul, now called Paul, then confronts the one who was opposing them, as they'd been called in, Elimas, or this Bar-Jesus. And notice again, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit when he speaks these words to Elimas. Son of the devil, he calls them. See, Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. But Paul is revealing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he is no son of Jesus at all. He is, in fact, a son of the devil. Enemy of all righteousness which is exactly what Satan names mean, the ad names mean, excuse me, what Satan's name means. He is an adversary, an enemy of all righteousness, calls him full of all deceit and villainy. And that is also the handiwork of the devil. He is the father of lies, one who makes crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And Satan comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to break the stranglehold of sin, to restore the fellowship with God that was broken by sin, and to revive the spiritually dead to life again. 
This was a confrontation, no doubt in this physical world, but clearly as well, a confrontation of a greater battle that was going on in the spiritual realms. And that confrontation and the display of God's power over Satan is what caused the proconsul to be convinced and to fear God, appreciating the teaching of the Lord coming from Paul and Barnabas. Friends, I believe that the Holy Spirit, God himself, is also with us to defeat the enemy and to save those who are willing to hear the word of God. Just like the Spirit of the Lord filled Paul and the hand of the Lord defeated the forces of evil that had tried to prevent a man of great influence to believe in the Lord, you and I should be keenly aware of the fact that while we may encounter people in the physical realm, the real battle is going on in the spiritual realm. And when Jesus said, upon this rock, that is the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church. And he said a very important thing next. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, the gates were part of the protection of the walls of the city. They were meant to protect the city. And with this metaphor of gates that Jesus is making and using, it's abundantly clear that it's Satan's domain that's under attack. It is the dominion of Jesus Christ that is on the march. And when the dominion of Jesus Christ is on the march, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friends, God's plan of the kingdom of God to come to earth has been started by God, not us. Satan is here who's on the defensive, and the church is the one that's on the march to fill the earth with the presence of the living God. And he's using the Sauls and the Barnabases and the Elias and the Christians and the Conrads and the Jonathans to do just that. And just as God was with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey to the nations, God is with us to defeat the enemy and save those who are willing and ready to hear the word of God. Friends, the spirit of God is with the people of God to establish and grow the church of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is also with us to preach Jesus and make disciples, to proclaim God's truth and display God's love, and to defeat the enemy to bring salvation to those held captive by him. So here's the application today. Let us all live by the power of the Holy Spirit in us to establish and to grow the church of Jesus Christ. Now, not all of us are called to be the missionaries and pastors, teachers, but all of us are called to be the instruments of God's Holy Spirit and with his power to preach, to teach, to equip, to make disciples, to go against the enemy, to build the church of Jesus Christ. So whatever you do for your vocation or living, view it in light of that higher calling and purpose to bring glory to God through the church of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're selling a product or maybe you're managing a project. Maybe you're raising a child or running a charity. Maybe you're an owner of a business or a leader of a battalion. Perhaps you're obtaining your education or training for your sport. Whatever it is, don't let that be your purpose, but let those be the means to God's greater purpose for you of glorifying him through establishing and growing the church of Jesus Christ. 
Because ever since Jesus was ascended on high and pouring out his spirit on his people, his hand and his spirit was with his people, clothing them with that power from on high to establish and grow his church. J.I. Packer put it this way, we've become preoccupied today with the extraordinary, the sporadic, the non-universal ministries of the spirit to the neglect of the ordinary general ones. Whatever you do, let it be by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take just a few minutes to just confess to you as well how, oh my, are we close to time? Yes, we are. But um, many of you know, not, I'm not only a pastor, but I also have a business that uh, rents out properties. And just in these last couple of weeks, it's been really stressful because we have a tenant from, well, I won't say it. <laughs> Put it this way, it's a nightmare. He doesn't pay his rent on time. He doesn't pay the bills we send him. He doesn't communicate when there's a, an issue in the house. And he leaves the house in a mess. Outside the yard, has, I've had to remind him, please mow your yard. And the whole time God's been reminding me that the business isn't only about the business. And I've been convicted by the Lord to be, to be praying for this person. I, you know, the, the na his name comes up. Unfortunately, it's a biblical name. And, I, and, and, I, and the hair at the back of my neck stands up. I, I get preoccupied with this. Hardly a waking moment goes by without me thinking of how can I justify myself and prove that he's wrong. But I'm reminded of the power of the Holy Spirit. That it's not only about the business. It's also about the kingdom of God. I hope you see that also in the book of Acts. It's about the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit working through his servants. Will you let the Holy Spirit work in your life to bring about the kingdom of God here on earth? I pray that you will. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Teach us, we pray. Equip us, inspire us, empower us. Send us with your spirit, Lord. Crush the enemy. Build your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.